What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up in a punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, coming back, coming back for part two, my buddy, Mr. City and Color himself, also from Alexis on Fire. And from, uh, we, 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 he and I have talked about doing some projects over the years, so, you know, I can add that to the list too. Dallas Green is back on the show, and it is a fun conversation, and you will hear more on that in one second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That and the Instagram page, at turnedoutapunk, and the Turned Out of Punk Facebook page are all run by my brother, and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on various forms of social media, at Left for Damien, well, Twitter and Instagram, at Left for Damien. If you want to uh, support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, but you can also subscribe to it and rate it on iTunes, and thank you to everyone that does do that. I really do appreciate it. Or you can uh, um, uh, head over to patreon.com slash turned out a punk and uh, see what we do over there. We got some fun stuff going on over there, some videos there, some footnotes. You know, there's, there's some secret episodes as well. There's some, some cool stuff happening over there. And speaking of support, this show would not be possible with the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, we love your show. We just don't want you to do it out of your own pocket. And they helped me cover the cost of this thing. And once, you know, once all this is over, COVID, I mean, hopefully, you know, uh, we'll be having those House of Vans parties again, and I'll be able to go out there and do live podcasts, and 
Oh my gosh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Speaking of getting there, Fucked Up has some tour dates scheduled coming up in the fall with a band called Faith No More. Maybe you heard of them. Uh, Very excited to be going on tour, period. Very excited to be going on tour with Faith No More. Especially, we will be playing, uh, I guess, four shows with them. We're also playing Riot Fest. You can find out more information about those shows at fuckedup.cc. Also on there, find out more information about the David Comes to Life 10th anniversary tour. I I have a problem saying that because I I just refuse to believe it. But uh, we will be coming to a lot of different towns. So check out fuckedup.cc. More dates are being announced. We just announced some UK dates and some uh, England and Scotland dates and and, uh, Ireland dates. And uh, we've got, you know, we we got dates coming out. Uh, more and more as the uh, days go by, it appears. Uh, we will also be reissuing David Comes to Life with Matador Records for the 10th anniversary of that record. You can check out matadorrecords.com for more information about that. And also, Fucked Up has this 90-minute long song. I think it's actually like a gulp. 90-plus minutes. Uh, I don't remember the exact runtime right now, but uh, it's a long, it's a long one. And it's going to be coming out on a double LP on my good buddy, Scotty Tank Crimes record label, tankcrimesrecords.com. You can find out more information. Records.com, tankcrime.com. Anyway, Google Tank Crime. Follow Scotty on social media as well. He's a great follow. He's very inspirational, very positive person and, and very... Very key person in my life as well. Anyway, shout out to Scotty. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, we have a part two, a rare part two with my buddy, Dallas Green. This kind of came out of you know a couple different conversations Dallas and I had had in the last few weeks and just about how much this period you know, of, of being locked down several times up here where we are, um, you know, I, I think most of the world got locked down actually several times, you know. But anyway, we got locked down several times and, you know, gave us a chance to kind of reflect on how lucky we were in our, you know, he, he hates using this word, but I don't mind using it as much, careers in music and getting to do what we've done. And yeah, I don't know, it, it led to us wanting to do this on the record and have this sort of conversation and kind of continue this conversation, I should say. Um, and I'm really happy to get to hear it. Dallas has announced a bunch of tour dates. You can find more information about Dallas Green at cityandcolor.com. You can also find him on social media as well. Just what a one of my favorite people to get to talk to. He and I have very little in common in terms of the stuff we like, except we do like a lot of the same things, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, all right, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Dallas Green on Turned Out a Punk. Dallas Green, he was a fast machine. He was the best damn singer that I ever seen. Welcome back to the show, buddy. Hi, that was a very nice intro there. I, I was thinking about that while we were talking, and I'm like, I hope I don't screw this up when we go on air. And I, I was and you as you were going, I was like, is he gonna blow it? No, you nailed it. That was great. If I did blow it, I would have made you stop and redo it. That okay. would so people could be people listening to this don't know this is like the 30th time that I attempted that intro. So first uh, but, take. First, yeah, take, first yes. take. First take. Buddy, speaking of second takes, it is awesome to get you back here for a second hang. 
Yeah, man. I know we've uh, we've been trying to do it for a while, and it's it's nice to finally sit and chat with you. Do you know that like you were on the show? That was like six years ago. I was thinking about it today, Dame. I was trying to figure out when that actually was because I remember I came to your house. Yep. Yeah, it was 2015, I think. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. It's so wild because I don't know what it is, but I feel like, and maybe it's just getting older, but time is is getting far more fluid. Like you could have told me that that happened yesterday and I would have believed you. Okay, let me ask you a question about that. Do you think that is a result of us getting older or is it a result of how crazy life has been in the last like 10 years for probably you and me and people that you know tour and go crazy and all you know what i mean and it things start to kind of wrap around each other in a way that's what i that's what i've been wondering you know i i i think that's definitely true and i would also i wonder and i gotta ask you this is it also the fact that we're never good like you're never bored anymore like you guys were touring before i was touring but i imagine in the early days of touring there would be times where you'd sit in the van and be bored. Like there'd be just like no stimulation. I I mean, I drove a lot and most of the reason was because I didn't want to be bored in the back of the van. Yeah. I'd rather just be driving. Yeah. (laughs) It was something to do, right? Like, yeah, for sure. But now it's like, you never have to be bored. Like there's always something in your hand that's interesting. You're right. You're right. I never thought about it that way. I I just want... Well, I was thinking about the other day with the kids where I'm looking at my kids and they're like, I'm bored. And I'm like, you realize there's like literally like the only thing I've taken out of the options right now are screens. Like there's like everything in the world at your fingertips right now. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, like being bored, like actually bored with like literally nothing to do is like a feeling that we don't really experience that much anymore. You almost have to force boredom. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, and that, that's what meditation is, right? You're just forcing yeah. yourself to be bored for a little. Yeah, bit. you're right. <laughs> I wonder if that's what they said when they when they started meditating. Whoever yeah. started it, you know. Well, imagine when they first started. They're like, "Isn't this just like sitting around like we normally do, with like nothing to do except trying to be very quiet for that entire duration?" Like now, you actually actively decide to turn off every interesting thing in your life and tune yeah. it out. You know, I think it's probably getting harder to do it now. Forced boredom. Forced boredom. Forced boredom indeed. But yeah, like I think it also like back to what you're saying, it has like it it it, it just there's been so much shit that's happened specifically in the last 5 years mm-hmm. where I feel like the first sort of like 10 plus years of being in a band doing that thing it just just you know like all that stuff happened but it just feels like it was a lot more spread out but like in the last five or six years be it you know like the collapse of touring more recently but even before that just like losing friends in the music industry or just just you know like uh experiencing weird i don't know it just feels like yeah last five or six years everything got turned up a little bit I can agree with that for sure. Um, I think too, for me, my perspective is just, I, I think the first, the first decade of, of me doing this was, was just spent um, <clears throat> in such a whirlwind, right? Like come, mm-hmm. like starting with Alexis and kind of going straight into it. And then, you know, doing this, the side thing, like 
a couple of years into that and then doing both at the same time, like, you know, for 10, almost 10 years, like that was just so, I was just so busy doing it that I, that I maybe didn't even notice time, like kind of rushing by, you know? Yeah. Like, I think it didn't, you know, you and me were talking the other day and you were talking, we were talking about, you know, temporally like Alexa on fire and then city in color, you know, and just sort of like these two things that existed almost in separate time periods, but it was like, they overlapped for so much of it. We like, you were basically, you were in two legitimate, successful two full-time bands at the same time. Yeah. I, I, people, I've always asked when people ask me what it was like, I'm like, I'll usually try to say something that, you know, have you ever had two full-time jobs that both involved traveling? Yeah. You know, and it was obviously it was uh, awesome until it wasn't awesome until it was like, Oh, I can't, I don't know if I can physically do this, you know? Yeah. And I, I found like the weird, I found the thing that I've experienced and this is only being in one band that's, that's slightly less successful um, is that the hardest part for me is the ego management. And that's not like, you know, getting big headed. I mean, just like the, the rise and fall of every single day where the whole day is anticipation, 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 massive release, and then try to come down as fast as you can. So you can go to sleep and do it again. Like I found that's the part of the experience that really weared on me. And that was the part coming home from tour that I was able to kind of, you know, decompress from, but like you would have been coming home from tour and then just starting another tour. Yeah. Or a lot of the time I would just fly from one to the other because yeah. it was, it yeah. was already booked that way. And I, it was like, um, you know, I think because of the way the city and color thing just kind of was, was happening, like, well, I wasn't really, uh, monitoring it. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense, yeah, you know, like I, and, and then while I'd be on tour, something would come up that would be kind of cool. And it would be something cool that like, you know, we, we would never get with Alexis or just Alexis didn't get a lot of cool opportunities. We had to sort of make a lot of, of, uh, of our own, you know, mm -hmm. but something like that. And I, I'd, I'd almost feel, you know, of course I was exhausted or something, but I'd feel like, well, there's, there's an opportunity and you know, as well as I do in this, uh, ridiculous business that we've chosen to try to make our living in. It's all about getting an opportunity to just be first, you know, to whether to play in front of people or someone to hear your tune, because especially as an independent artist, it's those opportunities that just kind of allow you to maybe get another, you know, cause there's not, there's not real like mass exposure going on and there's not this like giant machine. So for me, I was like, especially with sitting color where, you know, Joel and I had started dying alone to put that first record out mm -hmm. so that we could control it. But then that also meant it was all on us. Right. Yeah. So it was that, it was that like, uh, and, and I think, that sort of feeling that you just talked about that burnout um, that times two just really led to me having to kind of make a decision on just for my own sanity, I think, you know? Oh God. Yeah. Like I nearly walked away from just doing one band, you know, like, yeah. I, cause I just couldn't deal with that. Like it just, and that's the thing that doing this podcast, I think has really kind of shown me is like, it's not unique, you know, like that kind of like mental drain and that mental kind of like gnawing that happens, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's just, that is the universal experience I find for people. And it's just because of the nature of how 
the day works. Like you're basically living your whole life for, you know, 90 minutes a night. You're, you're living your life like that, hoping that the show's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's not always good. So like when, in those early days where you're, you're just like, um, you know, and we can, I can, I can say all this now and I, I'm not complaining. I'm just, it's just my experience. Right. But like looking back now, I think of how much I toured for the, you know, from, from the time I was 22, probably to 35. I, I, the amount of miles I've put on myself and my brain, just like traveling around, hoping that the show is good. Yeah. Um, It's, it's crazy to do that to yourself. You yeah. know? Yep. I, and it's, and it's also, cause then it bleeds over to the next day. Like if that show is bad that night before, and then you're carrying that with you the next day and it's, yeah, the pressure that you wind up carrying. And I imagine the pressure, like, especially in the early, early days of city and color where you're just doing it by yourself, by yourself. Yeah. Uh, would have been massive. Like just so much to kind of care. And you're a little kid. Like, yeah, I know you're yeah. in your twenties, but like, realistically as two older people we know we're your little kids at that point yeah absolutely i mean i was 25 when that first city and color record came out so yeah i remember coming home from a tour from <clears throat> with from an alexis tour and i had booked some you know it was my first city and color shows like under the the name uh city and color and i just got in the the alexis van and drove around ontario with my two cousins in the van with me <laughs> Yeah, You know, it was like I got home from a tour and immediately went and started playing like uh, little bars just by myself because, you know, I mean, I'm stoked that I did that because obviously it led to, uh, you know, more than I could have ever imagined. But that was something that was always in me was wanting to go and play, you know, so it was always like the opportunity being there to go and play. It was hard for me to say no to it. Mm hmm. Because it was what I wanted when I was a kid. I just wanted to get, I wanted to go and play. You know, that's all I really was. It felt like something I could be good at. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And not to like undercut any of the success and obviously what you, what you achieved with City and Color. But like you said, at the same time, like you would get opportunities presented to yourself in City and Color that wouldn't necessarily happen to Alexis on Fire. And I think just from an outsider's perspective, it's because like Alexis on Fire, you guys very much cut your own path like that band the path that you guys had to success like other bands have followed that now and tried to imitate that now but like that was a hundred percent like a complete new way of doing things for a band in canada to find success whereas you know city and color obviously what you did and you had to fight your own battles but it's like you know there's there's a there's a proven path for a singer songwriter to. oh to absolutely yeah i mean it was it was, i mean just just the music alone, I was making something that was more accessible to the mm-hmm. common listener, which is, you know, that's obvious. But what I found interesting was, you know, like obviously in Canada, it was, that's what started it all. Right. Like I, I, I put that first record out just in Canada. We, we didn't put it out anywhere else. We really? just thought, did, yeah, it yeah. Pick, did it get picked up somewhere or no? Well, what happened was, so we put, yeah, we put sometimes out in Canada and then I just, whatever, I, I, I would play some shows here and there in Canada. Cause in my, in my small, small minded, self-deprecating head, I, I thought, okay, maybe there's some people in Canada that will listen to this. So I'll, but we'll just put it there. But because that was also because we had started the label, right. And we had no idea how to put it out anywhere else other than Canada. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
our goal was to hopefully maybe get some people to dis, uh, you know, distribute it around the world. So like Alexis was on equal vision, you know, uh, for, for those first two records. So we thought maybe, maybe equal vision would put it out in the States or whatever, but you know, we kind of, we kind of just thought we'd get there when, when it, when it, um, you cross that bridge sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until I made the second record that we actually got, uh, we got Vagrant uh, to put out the second record in the States first, and then we re-released the first record everywhere else. Okay. That makes yeah. Sense. So like <clears throat> I kind of did, it was like, I left the band to pursue a more, you know, my, my, my solo stuff. And yes, I was making it more accept, like more accessible sound, but I also, I chose like the most difficult path <laughs> to, yeah. to having anybody listen to it because, you know, it's just sort of been this slow moving coup, I guess, really. Well, it's just like the same way you guys built Alexa on fire is what you did in America. It seems like you built your audience like show to show. Well, that's um, exactly it. Yeah. Cause Dame, cause I couldn't, what I realized was, you know, I thought, maybe it would be a little easier you know with the music i was making i thought okay i've 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 sort of you know i kind of know how the music business is sort of working so um but what i was really what i was uh sort of surprised by was how because alexis didn't really do well in the states right we didn't really ever get much attention so no one knew who i was and because my my record was only out in canada it was it was like starting over again, you know. So that's what also made me just go, okay, well, I got to go play. So I just kept touring um, in the states a lot and on my own. I, I never got opening slots. I got one good opening slot in two thousand and eight. Tegan and Sarah took me out um, in between an Alexis tour, and I, I went out and opened for Tegan and Sarah with my acoustic guitar. But that's the I, only that's the only opening tour I've ever done across America. If you can believe that. Yeah, it's wild. It's uh, did you, where did you tour with Pink? Uh, I've opened, I've opened two shows for her in America. I guess if you can call that a but you tour, you tour with her in England, right, or something? I I, I opened, I opened for her at a couple of giant soccer stadiums in England. <laughs> yeah, very, very funny. I guess when you get that big, you don't really tour anymore. You just play a huge show and then another huge show. Yeah, she. I mean, she tours, but she just stops at the giant place where yeah. you can put as many people as possible, and then she moves on to the next version of that. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. unless she's in Australia, then she does that for nineteen nights in a row. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know, like that's that different level that we were talking about, you know, before we went on air, where like you have people that you know are selling hundreds of bajillions of records you know yeah like, and filling stadiums and and it's uh yeah like it it, it must be i don't know that must be a surreal thing to play in a giant stadium like and we played rugby stadiums and cricket stadiums and stuff but uh it, it was you know while people were finding their seats i have this uh this is a good story i think you'll you'll like this one dame i was i was playing um we were playing in a stadium called the reebok stadium of light you know and i think <laughs> yes. you know it's like 40 or fifty thousand people or whatever and it's funny because I'm I'm playing these real quiet kind of. I've got like a three piece band, so you know I'm making a little bit of racket, but not really t- making much of an impact. And 
I can see Alicia's wa Alicia's watching me from side stage. She's getting mad that no one's paying attention, and I'm kind of laughing, thinking this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. And then uh, I have this one song where I sing a line, uh, "No, I am not where I belong," very quietly, and this woman in the front row, in the most English accent that you can imagine it was like i sang this line very quiet and then forty thousand people stopped talking so she could yell out to me you got that right <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> but it was it was one of my great it's one of my great heckles that i've ever received yeah it was beautiful uh, <laughs> that is amazing like i could you know once even tegan and sarah too the crowds that you'd be playing to in front of both of those artists are are certainly uh yeah very loyal to the artists that they're going to see that night yeah i remember getting a lot of flack from some ladies at the tegan and sarah shows because i was wearing a flannel shirt <laughs> yeah and i was like i don't know and then i would ask but it was great because i had the girls so i would ask the girls like what am i doing here my you know so they they kind of my twin sisters there they uh they helped me <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, but can I just quickly shout out Tegan and Sarah, only my only band to ever take me on tour in, in America, and they're Canadian. <laughs> that that's because you turned down the fucked up invitation. Well, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, Tegan and Sarah are amazing, and I gotta say, like when we were doing, we did a benefit record, and someone, uh, you know, like didn't do their part at the last second, and I just reached out to Tegan and Sarah on a whim having never really met them and they did it they were fucking amazing to work with so yeah they're the best man they're they're awesome they're, they're two of the, the best people i've ever met in this whole journey for sure and they are also two of the only people that think that phantom of the paradise is the best movie ever and i am one of those people as well okay <laughs> have you seen that movie i don't think so you haven't seen that movie no it's okay well Give me no, I haven't. That's you know Paul, weird. You know Paul Williams, who wrote all the music for the Carpenters, and uh, yeah, yeah. So Paul Williams plays uh, like a devil type character in this movie, and it's sort of like Phantom of the Opera meets Faust as like a cocaine fueled '70s rock opera directed by by Brian De Palma. Oh my lord, that sounds fantastic, Dallas. I swear I'm going to watch it after I after I get off the podcast. You will, you will definitely love this. We got to do a follow-up podcast where we just go shot by shot through this movie because I think, yeah. I think I found, I think this might be the uh, Danzig two of movies. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> good one. Uh, uh, yeah, we, back to like heckles on on tour. Uh, we when we opened for you guys at uh, <laughs> the Phoenix. Yeah, like it was just the we opened for you guys at the warehouse of the Phoenix. The warehouse show was good. People were okay with us. The Phoenix show, people did not give a shit. And I fell off the stage. Oh, I fell off the drum riser, nearly fell off the stage, and tore the crotch out in my pants. Oh no! While playing, and afterwards, this one kid comes up to our merch table, like this one kid, and he's talking to me, and he's like, "Hey, man, you guys are really great. Where are you from?" And I'm like, "Oh, we're from Toronto." And he's like, oh, cool. Like, how long have you been together? How'd the band come together? So I start, you know, answering that. And he just looks over my shoulder and he's like, is that Wade? And just takes off. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> ditched me. But oh. it was it was still like, you know, I got to say, you guys took us out and put us on those shows. And that was at a time when there were no Tegan and Sarah 
asking us to play for them or with them. So, you know, you are Tegan and Sarah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) When when did you like realize that this city and color thing was going to be something? Like, like, what was the time when you're like, shit, this is like, because you're saying like in the beginning, you're like, didn't think it would catch on. Because I remember that first time you played Lee's Palace, reading a review in Now Magazine the next day, and then them just talking about how sold out the show was. And I was like, holy shit, this thing's, this is something. Yeah, I, man, I, I still really don't, I don't know if I'm sure about it now, you know? I'm sure. Can I, let me tell you, buddy, you should stick with it. Okay. I think yeah, I will. I think it's going to do something. <laughs> you know, it's it, I, I guess because the reason I say that is maybe because it's been such a strange, it's been such a strange journey, you know, like, like I was surprised that anybody liked Alexis on fire. So, you know, I think we were all surprised. So when that started happening, it was like, okay, like this is incredible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but when, when people started coming up to me and asking me about these songs, you know, that they were hearing on the internet, I was just like, what do you, you know, it was, so it was, it didn't really compute to me. And then it just sort of evolved. And then, but I, I I guess I would say like, now I tell this one story that was a, it was a very strange moment where I was, I was on tour and in Edmonton, and Alexis was playing and I was walking around the mall because we were playing at the mall and I, I walked up to the, to the skating rink in the West Edmonton mall. And there was a bunch of, bunch of people just like, you know, ice skating. And I realized that they were ice skating to save your scissors. It was on, <laughs> it was on the radio, you know? And I thought, okay, well, that's strange that they're playing this on the radio, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think after that, I kind of was like, <clears throat> I thought maybe there was, you know, it was sort of that more, that thing we talked about earlier, Dame, like the, okay, it's obviously more accessible. So maybe something, maybe something will, will come of this, like that I didn't really ever expect, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, you know, a, a few years later when I'd had a, a couple of records out now and I was really starting to tour and, and it was literally just getting bigger and bigger every time I went out. Yeah. You know, that's when, that's when I was like, wow, this is, this is something and I'm not even really focusing on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, th- I think that was part of it right there. It was just like, I, I needed to, I needed to go give it a shot just to see what, what was, you know, what I could do or something, I guess. Well, like, you know, I, I, there's this thing I like to talk about on the show, like being a Bo Jackson, you know, like it's, yeah, a- anyone can do it once. You know, like not anyone, but obviously, but like, you know, if you're really lucky, anyone can do it once, but yeah. to do it twice to like build two things up that have their own kind of like fan bases that are completely independent of one another. And like, like that, that is impossible. Like that is just something that is just, well, the amount of effort, like you, well, you know, more than I do, like the amount of effort it takes to kind of do that. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's rare that it happens. Yeah. I think I, I see that now for sure, Damien, like, like uh, now that I've had like almost, you know, 16 months to just sit and look back at it all. But, but I had never really t- taken any time because especially, you know, I never gave myself a break when I left the band because, you know, I, I basically told my best friends that I couldn't play with them anymore because I, I really wanted to focus on this other type of music I was trying to make. Mm-hmm. So 
it's not like I was just going to like make a record and then stop and go, okay, that's great. You know what I mean? So there was part of me that was like, I felt responsible to, to keep it going, but also because of the way it was happening where I was doing it completely independently and I wasn't, you know, like, you know, you you talk about the States, like I, I really don't get that much and haven't really ever gotten that much media down there. So my, a lot of my fan base down in the States is really just word of mouth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, definitely. People hearing it on Sirius satellite radio or something or, or, or things like that. And, and then me obviously touring a lot. So, um, but I think this, sorry, that was a long winded answer. But yeah, I think I've now realized that, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy that, that I was able to do one, let alone this other thing that just sort of, um, turned into something I could never have imagined. Well, after like uh, Chemistry of Common Life came out and you sang on that song with us, we'd have people coming to our shows in America that were like, you know, like just members of the City and Color cult, you know, like people that had wow. been played your music by someone and then, you know, checked out Fucked Up because you were on a Fucked Up song type thing. Like, and they would just be like, yeah, like, he's my favorite artist, you know, and like, I'll I'll travel around to see him. And like, I'm, I'm saying it like it's you know multiple people because it was it was this happened many times talking to people after shows and they'd be like yeah i got into you because of city and color i remember actually george was driving down from alexis george and lauren was in the car there was a, a car of people driving down to a fucked up show and they were crossing the border and the border guard was like oh you're in that band alexa on fire and and george was like yeah and he's like oh i'm super into the and i forget the name of the dude's song but it was like the one of the first things you sung on oh like, the never-ending white light song probably. the never-ending white light song the guy's like yeah. i love that song that he sings on yeah never-ending white lights and it felt like at that point like it to me i was like oh shit, this thing is like something separate from alexa on fire yeah you know what too i think because that song was a whole nother animal all around that same time where it was like you know, there was that weird little cross section in, in the mid 2000s where in Canada, at least, you know, I had something with Alexis going. I had City and Color on the radio and I had that song on the radio. Yeah. So it's funny when I do when I hear people say, like, you know, they call what I've created or whatever a groundswell story and all that stuff. And I I I get that completely. But I, I also look to a point like that where it's like, well, fuck, <laughs> I had three different friggin songs going with three different things going on the radio. Like, there's that might have helped, you know, yeah. tell people what I was up to or whatever. So, but it's a, it's yeah, man. I don't know. It's been really crazy. Still is. I'm I'm still shocked by it. I really am. I, I'm I'm no like I'm, I'm not even. You know me. I don't. I don't blow smoke. Like I. I nope. I'm. Uh, I'm. It. I think for the longest time I really didn't understand it. Right? Because like, remember when we talked the other day and we were talking about how this thing it can you're conditioned to uh want or expect things mm-hmm. right because of what we've been you know growing up like I, I i assumed success meant all these other benchmarks that i wasn't achieving mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like being on a tv show or getting on a magazine or something like that mm-hmm. and i'm talking about like in the rest of the world i know i've had I, i've had all that kind of like media attention in canada because of you know, I was 21 when Alexa started and it was, it was already on TV and all that stuff. So, but, uh, I really now have, have realized that I had exactly what I wanted, which is 
which is like a, a large group of people who really just want to listen to my music. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is the only thing I ever actually wanted. So, uh, yeah. And it's also like the fact that you did it without, you know, playing on Saturday Night Live or, you know, like I always, you know, a part of me was like, oh, geez, I, I never got to play on a big American talk show. And I'm almost like now kind of, I, I feel proud of that. Like, yeah, fuck yeah. it. I never got to play on one of those big talk shows. Like I, I did the one, I did one. I got, I got on Jimmy Kimmel because I, I played Jimmy Kimmel with, uh, with Alicia, with you and me, the, the, yeah. Yeah. the record we made. And I'll never forget this. Like, you like this, the, the, the booker guy comes up to me when I'm like plugging my guitar and he's like, Dallas, great to have you back, man. And I just looked at him and went, I've never been here. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and then he came, he came in the room like later on and just because probably maybe somebody told him or whatever. And he was like, Oh, you, this is what he said to me. He's like, you know what? We've tried to have you on. You just tour too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I was it. like, I was like, Oh, I tour too much. I eh? just can't find a, you know? And I thought, to myself i wanted to say well maybe i wouldn't have to tour as much if one of you motherfuckers would just put me on pocket tv or something but uh i did i did go back and play play kimmel and that was fun totally fun but like yeah I, there you know what dame i'll tell you there was a there was a stretch where i was man i really would have loved to have played letterman and just so i could have got to shake his hand yeah you know yeah. i used I was... to watch bands do that and i'd be like oh that'd be so cool so see my my parents see me go shake David Letterman's hand instead of me saying, mom, I played in Gary, Indiana tonight. And there was a bunch of people there. <laughs> yeah. You know? I was thinking about that with Conan today, like watching like mm. all the last Conan stuff. And I'm like, cause Would that one, that. yeah, no, it felt like that one was almost like in my reach at one point. Attainable, like, right? Yeah. It felt attainable. Yeah. It felt attainable. Yeah. And, and now it's like, oh, that's, that's bittersweet. But at the same time, like, you know, there's almost like a, a pride in, in having to do it a different way, you know, like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's all whatever. If you get to do it, you you just realize. I think, too, though, Damien, like it's while we're in it, while we're in the way that it's happening, we're not we're not cognizant that of, of what we just said to each other now. Right. No. Nope. We're no. Nope. So. But uh, there was a there was a period where I'll tell you, this is funny. There was a period where I had to tell Joel and Trish to stop telling me that we were maybe going to get. <laughs> Letterman, or yes. because I'd hear it every couple of months or whatever, and then I it never happened. I'd be like, just don't tell me. I, I'm fine if I don't ever get it. Just don't tell me that I might get it, because then then you get excited. You get excited, you know. Yeah, like it, like we talked about before, you know, the, the couple weeks ago. Like it is, you know. And this this sounds like I'm I'm you know belittling what I'm talking about here, but it is I think on some level like an acquired brain trauma where yes you begin to expect like you begin to expect this and you know and that's part of the reason like part of that is a, is a natural thing that makes you almost succeed in music the fact that you feel like once things start going for your band you're like yeah we could do this we could take over the world and that i think tricks you into thinking that you somehow deserve to take over the world or at exactly. least that's what i felt yeah sure i think i think what i've always been really good at is quelling that 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 sense of like that yeah. I deserve any of it, you know. And and Alexis, we were always really good at. All we really wanted was the next gig, you know. And I think that was, in a way, it was very helpful that we weren't like we didn't think we were going to be popular. So when we got popular, it was like, oh, this is great. We weren't like, yeah, man, we're popular. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And yeah. and I sort of carried that over into my own person, like my solo stuff. It was like, oh, this is great. I can't believe people like me. I'm going to go play for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. What George said on when he was on the show, um, I'm pretty sure George said it. It was the last time he was here. That it'd be like one night you're playing to, you know, a sold out, you know, some odd, you know, hundreds of people in the early days room in Canada. And then the next day you're crossing over the States and playing to, you know, considerably no less. Yeah. 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 No one. Yeah. I think that also helps me too. Right. Like my, uh, my journey has been so all over the place and I've literally done everything you can do. I've played for nobody. I've headlined festivals in front of 50,000 people. I've played arenas. I've played bars. I've played squats. I've played everywhere you can play. Mm-hmm. I have done it, which allows me to never be um, like I. We just announced five nights at Massey Hall, and that that's incredible for me to say that to you. I can't even believe that I can say that as a sentence. That's to my fucking wild. Five nights. Yeah. Like uh, uh, I'm sorry. Like I know Cats probably did five nights when it was there, but like, did Leonard Cohen do five nights there? Like I, I just I, I know you did two nights there years and years ago, right? Yeah, I, so I, I, we just started with two, and people kept going crazy, so we added three more, and they, go all, they just kept selling out. So we, That's wild. Holy but I, shit. But to me, I, I because I have literally played every type of show possible, like, I think about those shows, too, you know? I don't yeah. think about, like, it's like, I don't know. I, have, I guess that's just, but that's just my version of it, right? Yeah. No, I can, I can definitely remember every terrible fucked up show like it was yesterday yeah like everyone you know it's i don't think there's a single one that i blocked it in my memory and that's not good wait we gotta get we gotta get rid of that we gotta, <laughs> we gotta we, but i have to do a secret or not a secret we have to do a special section of the podcast even where i get all of that out of your head <laughs> i talked to you about those those bad shows well, I think we need to carry those bad shows because I, I honestly feel like that's the thing you need to have in the back of your mind when you do play that triumphant sold out show or you get that crazy festival slot or, yeah. you know, and it, you're at the risk of it all going in your head. And then you can just remember like, oh, shit, I am one night away from being in a bar in Pittsburgh on the night of a Pittsburgh Penguins being in the fucking Stanley cup playoffs or something, sticking my head through a ceiling tile and just standing on top of an amp, uh, hyperventilating, trying to keep it together as the show was falling apart around me. Yeah. You know, like you, you need those moments. Oh, uh, here's, here's a good one. We had a really strange habit of, uh, earlier on in my career, by the way, sorry, I didn't mean to say that word. I don't like saying that word. It feels a career. It just feels weird when I say it. It feels no. weird, but like, you I know, guess it is. It's my career. It's what I chose. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, and you've been doing it long enough now that it could be a yeah. career. It's the only thing I've done since yeah. I was 20. So I guess it's a career, yeah. <laughs> but like every time something really cool would happen, like I'd immediately the next day for some reason, like, okay, first time I ever sold out the Molson amphitheater, which is now the bud stage or whatever. That's like, that's a, as a kid from St. Catharines, you know, basically Toronto. To be able to do that, you like is insane, right? Yeah. Like, you know that that's insane. Yeah. Was that was that with Tegan and Sarah? And it was the like first two time. Nights? Yeah. Yeah. And it was two nights. That was the night yeah. when I met Gord backstage. For exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the next morning after that, for some reason, we had booked. 
I had booked to play the, uh, the Rhythm and Roots Festival in Bristol, Tennessee. <laughs> and I had to get up at like 8 a.m. after yep. doing two nights at the amphitheater for my first time and f- take three flights and a van ride to play on like a street at like 6 p.m. No, don't ask me why I did that. <laughs> but I had so many moments like that where my I had no chance for an ego. It was just yeah. like, don't get too excited, buddy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, we will. I'm staring. Oddly enough, can I just tell you quickly? I'm I'm staring right above my little studio setup. I have a photo uh, of me and Gord from that night that you met him. That was an insane night. That was a really insane night for me. Like walking backstage at the Molson Amphitheater and you're fucking headlining. And like, granted, by the time we met, you guys were already pretty big like you guys are already doing stuff but i'm still like holy shit my friend is headlining at the most amphitheater like i used to fill the vending machines here as my job right and, and you're headlining it and then next thing i know my holden my eldest kid drops his pacifier and gord downey's like cleaning it off for him and then it's coming yeah. over and chatting it was just like what the fuck is happening yeah what a beauty what an amazing human being yeah, like man. uh and i met him through you like i remember you sending that email to me like hey uh, Gord's asked for your email. Is it cool? Yeah, give it to him. <laughs> like he was always so like. I remember when I uh, like he was always so interested still in like new music, which was great. Mm-hmm. Like I remember driving home from uh, for something. I can't remember what it was, but we were in my car and I was I played him Dan Danny Romano's uh, first solo record because he had met Danny briefly, but then he didn't know Danny was making like. And he was just so enamored by it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I remember him asking for your stuff. Like, it's just, I don't know. He was great. It's, it's, it's also, I read, I think it was Dave Bedini wrote an article about Gord after he passed away and just talking about his like kind of time knowing Gord. And just, I think he, I think he mentioned this or the, he kind of alluded to the fact that like Gord would enter people's lives when they, when they needed him. And I like, and I really felt like at that moment, I, I just needed someone like that to talk to, like someone who had been through it and, and seen it. And obviously like on a much bigger level, but just his way, the things he said to me, I still carry with me. Like the things oh he said God. about being a lead singer and, and being in a band and having that role in a band, like yeah. shit, sage advice. Every time I like, every time I'd see him or we'd speak, it, I would always walk away with something. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I I mean specifically when I when he came down to sing on that tune of mine, which you know was such a I think such a big moment for me too, especially in in Canada. Mm-hmm. I think when I put that song out, having Gordy on it, like that that introduced me to, you know, if if you know if if me singing on a fucked up song gets you a couple of new fans, like Gord singing on one of my tunes, it's like you got the Gord father on your song. You know what I mean? It's like a different, um, like you said. A, it's a different kind of wavelength, but being in the studio there with him, you know, like this person who, who didn't have to be there. First of all, he didn't, he didn't have to say yes. He didn't have to drive from Kingston to Hamilton that morning. Yeah. Uh, got there before me, you know, and just like sitting there with him and, and him singing my song and like giving me encouragement on the writing and all of that stuff. And then like, God, I don't know if that, if that didn't just, you know, when, how old would I have been when that was happening? I was probably 27, 28 years old, mm-hmm. maybe, when I met 
when I really like got to know him and we started like how important was that for me to meet a man of his like a comp like how accomplished he was in my eyes to meet a man who was just absolutely kind and treated everyone around him like they were his equals you know what i mean yeah i remember i remember looking at him just thinking like if i am still doing it when i'm his age i am i will be like this yeah you know? yeah I, I remember i think i am so yeah no that's he is he is uh yeah, he's the guy i try and carry myself like that'd be my you know obviously i'm not <laughs> i'm not doing it but it, he's the guy that i kind of aspire to kind of carry myself like in music and yeah like I was at the studio. The studio we were recording at today was the same studio he did the fucked up stuff with us at. And I'm sitting in that vocal booth and I'm just picturing him in that vocal booth. And I'm just like, fuck, I can't believe I like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I got to experience that. Yeah. It's uh, like that. I don't know. What a, that's beautiful though. It's beautiful that we both got to. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I, and I owe it to you, man. I like, I really do that night where we met that at the backstage at your show. And that's the thing is like, it's, it's, I always talk to people about this, you know, and like, uh, on the show, you know, like, oh, just like you were in this room and then this person was in this room and then that person was in the room. It's amazing. Like what all you guys went and did, you know, and I think about some of those shows and it's like you guys are there and like all these bands like danny's there like fucking maddie matson's there maddie matson's more famous than all of us put together now big time <laughs> like how who, who would have thought that would have fucking happened oh yeah that's crazy too right when you think about maddie like <laughs> holy i mean it actually makes perfect sense knowing maddie obviously right yeah oh well, he's always maddie, had that charisma he has and he's perfect for the 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 medium yeah. really yeah um but back then you could never have thought that no no because that's the thing you're right like i never thought about the change in technology and the ascension of maddie matheson because maddie's personality wouldn't have worked on tv you know no. like it, it obviously when vice eventually started doing it but it was really like it needed to be on the internet where he could be completely unfiltered and just be the freak that he is exactly yeah it works and it works perfectly yeah i never thought about that like it's 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 fascinating when you look at the rise in technologies and how different technologies and the appearance of different technologies sort of facilitate certain situations happening. Like, Hey, look at that. You're talking to one buddy. LimeWire. Like I I joked with somebody the other day that I, I, it's like I was a SoundCloud rapper before there were SoundCloud rappers, you know? Yeah. Well, I was going, sorry. No, I was just going to say like, that's how this all started for me. was people, people finding my, because once Alexis started, the people who had my my coffee shop demos from St. Catharines, they put them online and they got they just started getting shared on the internet, you know. So like, and it's weird though. The the thing I've now realized is like that's how I've I've built this fan base just by people sharing it on the internet, right? Yeah. And obviously, like, it's, I, I've had songs on the radio and all that stuff now, but but I now realize that. Uh, like I, the whole time I was doing this, I was trying to be in the music business that I grew up watching. Yeah. You know, and I didn't realize that I was, I was never, I was never meant to be in it, <laughs> you know, and I'm yeah. not. So anyway, sorry, that's just a little tangent there. No, no. I, Cause I feel the exact same way. I feel like a lot of, I feel like I achieved every benchmark I wanted to achieve as a young person in like my wildest dreams. It's just that those weren't as 
important cultural touchstones as they were when I was a kid. You know, like when I became a VJ, being a VJ didn't mean shit, <laughs> but it was, yeah. still, you know, it was cool, but it was like after VJs were. You were you're right. That's interesting, Dame. You're right. It was like, it was the end of VJs. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like, even when we were on the cover of, you know, magazines, big music magazines, it was kind of at the end of the influence of big music magazines right. where, you know, you'd be much better served at that point by getting placement on like a blog or, you exactly. know, like where people were kind of looking. And I kind of, even I was thinking about this with Alexa on fire. And when you guys first kind of, you know, not, not you guys forcing your way, but the fan base forced your guys way onto much music where yeah. that was like, kind of like what we have now with fan bases where it was an intensely passionate and intensely organized and an intensely motivated fan base. And that's what like BTS, like all the groups now, all these armies that you see on the internet, that's I think where this stuff eventually goes to, but like, it's really with bands like yourselves in the very beginning where there were these fan bases that were just kind of like, you know, crowdsourced throughout the internet and come together around a band and just kind of like, support that band above or above all others and at all costs yeah you're right like i I've, I've definitely realized that with like people who like my music they really like it yeah <laughs> you that, know and i and i fuck man what more could you ask for yeah no you exactly know? like it's like do you want a, a million people who kind of like you or a thousand people that are willing to kill yeah, for you. Exactly. That's how that sounds very Manson like when I put it like that. Yeah. I don't mean I want people to kill. But no, like, no, no, no. But yeah, you know, exactly. Like this sort of like the idea that you want. And it's that's what shifted. I think that's like the thing that's really changed is the idea of like it's gone from like trying to build up as big a fan base as possible to just being loyal to a group of people that want to support what you're doing and that believe in what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. I think that's like, uh, that's the thing I've, I've realized is that yes, I've, it's been, it's been difficult, obviously having to build it from nothing and, and, and not getting, uh, you know, getting the, I guess the, whatever, the sort of stereotypical life in rock music or whatever we, we grew up watching, but I've also realized in doing that, the only way I have been able to do that is because there's a passionate fan base that allows me to kind of be in control of it and shift it however I see at that moment. And it's like, man, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I would trade anything. You know, if I could go back, I don't know that I would want to end up anywhere different than I, than I do right now. And, you know, once again, this is not to undermine your talent or your songwriting ability or anything, but I don't think you, you know, just as like a human being, you would have been able to, to function and thrive in another system, you know, cause no. you are very independent. I remember watching that, oh, yeah. much, that MTV diary <laughs> thing when they were trying to film that MTV diary thing with you. Yeah. You were having none of it. No, I mean, that's my thing. Like I realized that I have never been able to play the game that well yeah because i am not interested in it so i am this is set up perfectly for me because i i, I can't really you know and that's again that's just me but i also it's funny though i think i've really realized now that there's a there's a quite a perception about me being an asshole out there that i've been finding <laughs> uh, which i think is is probably funny because I mean, if I was an asshole to you, you I, it's 
I probably meant to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that I would never say that you were an asshole. I would say that I have never seen you be anything but real. I'm stern. Stern and and, no. and yes, no, real. That's that's it. I I have no. Uh, and that's again, that's not to fault anybody who who does it differently. This is just the way I I am, you know. And I'm I've I've always been interested in. Um. I've never wanted to sell anything other than the music. Yeah. And that is, that is what I've been, I've been able to do and I'm, I'm very proud of it, but that's, that's what I've wanted. I've never, you know, like, remember I joked with you the other day when I was like, I remember you were talking to George and you were like, you called me a rock star. And I was like, I'm not a fucking rock star. <laughs> I think, you know, that I am the farthest thing from a rock star, but yeah. I also understand that what you're saying is like, what we talked about, remember it's like that, Fame is just a, it's a, it's other people's perceptions of who you are. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, right? and I would say that like, you were never, you know, I would never say you were like an asshole, but I would also say that you just were never fake. And, you know, a lot of times people in the music industry put on a fake face just to make shit easier. Yeah. And, and that was something I just have never seen you really put on. No, I, I don't think I ever have, you know, uh, which was, yeah. I, I always thought that was funny back in the day when I was getting all that shit from all the, you know, all the hard dudes that were calling me a, you know, a sellout or, you know, telling, saying, because I was doing the solo thing, I was like, you know, it was, I always thought, well, you have no, you don't know me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now all these years later, I'm, I'm like, I hope it's uh, apparent that this is just how I am. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think yeah. I think I think it is. I think it's, uh, you know, I've like when people uh, people ask me like, "What's Dallas like?" I'm like, "Yo, just exactly what you see." <laughs> yeah, definitely that dude. Yeah. And I think that also is like a precursor to what you see now, like like where people want like to see the real people. They don't necessarily want as much of the edifice. I know that flies in the face of all the pop music that's extremely popular. But like looking at my kids and looking at the stuff they react to and and watch now it's it's all about like stuff that comes off really real do you do you wonder if there's like i met some young kids the other day that that uh like helped out do some content stuff my favorite word content yes stuff. yeah my phone the best tiktok content. <clears throat> um and they're young and they were stoked and i i kind of asked them like what they're they're like you know in their early 20s so you know we're almost 20 years old or 20 years older than them or whatever mm-hmm and I was asking them about like, are you, do you feel like there's like maybe a backlash coming from the sort of like, cause you know, the last 10 years has been what you just described that sort of like, you know, the false reality or, uh, you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. not, and not just like regular pop music, but sort of everybody living on their phones and in their phones and all that stuff. And I was, I wonder if there's a younger group of kids who are going to be like, go, we don't want to do that. We want to, we want something real again. I don't know. I've been wondering. I, result, there's always a backlash to something, right? Like, yeah, we have our own version of it. Uh, you know, Alexis, in a way, was we early 2000s, right? It was a backlash to the pop music of the in, late 90s. Mm-hmm. When you think yep. about it, right? Yep. In, in yep. Canada, I mean, right, Dame? Like, remember, like, the late 90s on much music and stuff, it was just so much, like... Uh, it was just all the pop music, all like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and all that stuff. I would argue on much music after 
maybe the the alternative explosion of the mid 90s it kind of went that way the whole way through and you guys were one of the rare times that they were kind of forced to have to divert from that sort of strategy like when i think yeah. of much when, like when i really start thinking about what mu much music was playing you know it was it was like the the marianas trenches and the you know like it was there was all this stuff that was very much like coming from universal records and was sure, like yeah just kind of like you know it was very we were just much weird well yeah you got, the, and it, you gave, were, it gave the weirdos a place to to, to go i think yeah, and they they yeah. you guys and and they didn't want to play you guys, right? Like they yeah. were forced to play you because people were demanding it. Like, sorry, not to go back into this real quick, but George said it I think very well the other day. We we all watched this funny clip of us playing on much music, like they had us play on like the the daytime talk show. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just madness, right? George looks like a, a he's a nineteen year old like vegan, you know, mental case going crazy, and, and he was like. I bet you there was just some kids around Canada that saw that and were like, okay, I am like this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, like just, just a bunch of weirdos that saw George screaming his head off on TV in Saskatoon and were like, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Oh, but definitely. I, I, as a father there, I was trying to ask you, do you do you feel like your kids and like there, there will be maybe like a bit of a, a like a backlash to that? I wonder, I, you know? You know what my uh, eldest told me the other day? He goes, yeah, music's for old people. <laughs> I said, what? That's a beautiful answer. <laughs> yeah. And then the other time I caught <laughs> my middle child on his uh, Minecraft during school time. And so I took the screen away. I'm like, dude, you can't do this. He goes, oh, yeah? Punk sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. So the backlash has started for you. Oh, it's definitely. We're full on into it. I was. I used to sit there listening to like blasphemy or like acme or like you know some like totally crazy band just thinking there's nothing my kids will be able to do to shock me but they found a way reject it <laughs> all <laughs> oh man that's 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 really funny music is for old people is so good it was so it just cut me so but you know what the thing i was thinking and this is like i've had other conversations with people that are like lamenting the fact that they're in a place and they're talking to people and everyone likes the same shit, right like i right. worked at this weed company and every single person's favorite artists were all the exact same people you know it was like oh lady gaga travis scott drake right and, and like maybe like two other artists would be in it right and that was like everyone but it's because the cultural things that you and me clung to because we felt different uh, i don't think are as i don't know like not they're, they're still important obviously but they're they're not as key to people's identities as they once were right so, so i don't think that people have the the yearning to go and find these like sure that makes sense you know yeah yeah it's like how everyone's into popular stuff now like every, what, what's the best movies it's like oh the marvel movies it's like right the joker what's the like what is the artistic achievement in cinema it's like oh the joker that's it that's the best movie we made last year yeah you're right but it's you know at least and then but at least the internet offers uh corners of the world for everybody to go find yeah. whatever their vibe is you know yeah for the for the yeah. real people that need it they can still find it yeah and there's lots of great shit still happening. So it, it feels like the kids got it, mm -hmm. you know, they got it.
I kind of think now it's also, you know, like there are, there are artists that I've never heard of and I'm, you know, there's there's the whole worlds I've never heard of. Like I just found out about indie video games. And you're the you're the keeper of records, like you. <sighs> Literally just records, though, Dallas. And I don't <laughs> even, but I don't even mean records as in like just the physical record. I mean, like you're the keeper of records of of punk. Are you not? Well, I don't know. I I thought I was, but apparently there's some stuff that has slipped through my. Like finger. what? Give me give me some. You got any? I think like the, I, it comes up on the show all the time, but the first time I saw Ghost Main live, okay, I was like, "Holy fuck! How did I miss this whole thing happening into something like this?" Right, and it is, you know, somewhat connected to punk. There's certainly people involved in it that are are punk kids that grew up as you know young punk kids, but sonically, it doesn't bear any semblance to the stuff you know that I would you know call capital P punk rock. But at the same time, it kind of grew out of that, and it's now huge. And it doesn't need any, like we're talking about, you know, with what you guys did, right? Like, it doesn't need any video play. It doesn't no. need any fucking magazines. It just needs fans that like it that are spreading the word about it to their friends. Yeah, and it's, man, go for it, boys, because it worked for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, indie video games, too. Like, learning about indie video games. Holy fuck. I had no Is idea. Is that the one you, you told me about this the other day? Did you not? Yeah. You told this, me about, uh, yeah. Holy this that. A, I mean, it's a phenomenon that I'm just learning about myself. So, yeah. <laughs> it blew my mind when you told me that. I, I feel like. I feel like the world is so big. Now, I, I, everyone's like, oh, the world's so small because the internet's made the world so small. But it's, I don't know. I just find there's just so much stuff going on. Like, my kids worship these YouTubers that I've never heard of, but they have huge huge ginormous fan bases that just watch them build shit on minecraft all day yeah it's insane it's it's insane and it's like i don't know i find it uh, very uh comforting that there's you stuff know, happening that i don't know about you know what i was just hip to the other day what's that i'd never this is this just shows you how like i don't i'm not a good te technology guy uh <laughs> i didn't I was shown my first reaction video the other day. Do you know about these? Yeah, uh, that uh, I'm not a thousand years old, Dallas. You well, never I seen a reaction be. video? No, I mean I don't have children. I don't go on the internet that much. I, I uh, somebody sent me a re, uh, you know somebody reacting to one of my songs, but then <laughs> but then I I quickly moved away from that and found oh man I found these two guys that just re react to like. It's old too. It's probably from a couple years ago. They just react to like they're two um, two black guys in Nevada who like probably really don't know much about grunge music, and they just they a bunch of people get them to listen to a bunch of grunge songs, and it's it's the best maybe the best thing I've ever seen on the internet. <laughs> I watched yeah. it for hours. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's like reaction videos. Hearing someone hear an amazing song for the first time, and it just like clicks immediately and and it just, there's nothing more rewarding it like it oh. reminds you like when you have a friend over at your house and you're like you want to hear something fucking crazy listen yes. to this it's the best these two guys like they made my night they they really fall in love of course this makes me happy they they really fall in love with Allison James <laughs> so like they they list somebody gets them to listen to one chain song and then they're hooked so then they go through all of dirt and it's like it, it's it's called lost in vegas watch lost in vegas watch or wait, what should I say? <clears throat> Watch Lost in Vegas. Listen to Alice in Chains. It's it'll make you really happy, even if you don't like the band. I, just... 
I got to watch this thing because maybe this will convert me. No, well, they, yeah, maybe. Sometimes it takes like somebody who's never heard it and then they talk about it and they talk yeah. about what, what's vibing for them. It's really, but man, I didn't know that was a thing. That blew, It was a lot of fun the other night <laughs> watching that stuff. Have you read Everybody Loves Our Town, the book about Seattle music? No, but I know the book, yeah. Dude, that is one of the heaviest music books is it, is it is it about like all the drama it is well it's an oral history right so oh, okay. okay everyone's kind of in it there's incredible stuff with the melvins and courtney love there's just like it's just your your jaws on the floor for the whole book and it's really okay. fascinating how everything's connected but well I, I will read it for sure i think i think uh you know this is definitely something that i think you would get a kick out of reading two seattle books came out around the same time and both were great but everybody loves our town is the one that I kind of keep going back to. Like I actually reread chapters from time to time. Cause I'm oh, like, okay. Amazing. Like, did you know that, um, the, the, uh, the woman who played bass in the Melvins for a while is the daughter of, um, uh, Shirley temple. I had no idea, dude, that chapter is fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds crazy. The Melvins live with Shirley temple for a while. Okay, don't don't say anymore yeah i won't i won't but it gets it gets weirder it gets really <laughs> weirder from there okay. um you know dallas this has been awesome buddy and we've talked for a super long time um and you know we got to do this more often whenever you want buddy because we had a plan at one point we did for you know pcp with dnd now we can you told me we can't use the name anymore but... well i realized that dnd we could definitely still use because I don't think any of us can copyright it. Okay, great. Well then <laughs> let's just do it a segment. You know, it'll be a segment. And yeah. I, I would love I, to do that. I think it should be loons should be the host, right? O'Toole. <sighs> like loons should, it, it should bring up a subject and then it's point counterpoint with D and D. I was going to surprise you and have him on the call. But oh. I sent him a text, and he was—he didn't get back. I think he was in bed. Well, but, uh, if you if you do footnotes, <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll come on and do footnotes. And we'll do just... footnotes for your own episode, dude. That that would be amazing. Because Loons and I can talk. Loons and I would be able to talk for hours just about the early days in the van, right? Because he was in there with us for the. He was, you know, Chris O'Toole is in the Warriors. Right? Oh, it comes up. It comes up a lot. Like his, yeah. a lot of the bands that he toured with or came across on tour have been on the show or, you know, or you guys obviously and stuff. So yeah, his experience with Alexis on fire, he draws upon, you know, quite, quite readily. In fact, it came up a couple weeks ago when Steve-O was on the show and we were doing a footnotes for the Steve-O episode. And he talked about the time that uh, you guys all went to Bam's house. Oh man, that was very strange. We all rode an H2O's bus. Bam <laughs> Margera's oh yeah very strange <laughs> that was early too that was like that was a long time ago i forgot about that wow and, and also was it 30 seconds from mars on that tour oh yeah for sure and there was a really great interaction where when steel met jared leto he shook his hand and wouldn't let go and and steel didn't know and well none of us knew that leto was i guess a germaphobe terrible germaphobe yeah and terrible. yes steel's just like hanging on and you know it was still was probably 18. <laughs> oh man. But Loons and I, like Loons and I were in the, up in the front of the van, like on the long night drives all the time, you know, tool. So 
Yeah, he said he talks about like you guys just going through music and the stuff you guys used to listen to. Oh uh, yeah, just riding riding up front the two yeah. uh, the two dads band dads. Absolutely. <laughs> well, next time you want to come on here with the uh, with your uh, former uh, band dad partner and and hang out, buddy. You know, you know the store is always open. Well, thank you for uh, chatting with me. I love you, and uh, we'll talk soon, buddy. Thank you, Dallas, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Dallas will be back for, I guess he said a regular segment. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, you will definitely be back to do footnotes with Chris O'Toole and myself in the future. And I'm looking forward to that. Chris O'Toole, shout out to Chris O'Toole. Loons, uh, I I never call you that. So it feels really weird calling you that. But the mighty C.O.T., uh, my buddy, as heard on footnotes, Dallas's bud, and yeah, shout out to him, and shout out to Dal as well. Thanks, buddy, for coming on the show. All right, we got to take it somewhere completely different for the next episode, right? From the punk, I guess architects, forefathers. There's just there's really uh, it's very hard to describe where this band sits in the punk uh, continuity because they're they predate everything, everything. Um, well, maybe not everything, but they, they definitely predate a lot of it. From the band The Imperial Dogs, Paul Theriot will be on the show. And this is a a brief, but uh, I don't know, I, I think a key conversation with a band that I've always been fascinated by. You know, they're definitely a band that, you know, This Ain't the Summer of Love is one of the great unheralded proto-punk songs, you know, or under-heralded proto-punk songs. And I guess it is heralded because... They sold the song title to Blue Oyster Cult and a couple of the lyrics. Anyway, we get into this on the show. I'm very excited for you to hear this one. I finally found this episode. I thought I had lost it, but here it is. It's going to be coming out later on this week. Uh, And that's it. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids, and we need to help trans people protect themselves. There needs to be a stop of hate and violence towards Asian people and just a stop of hate and violence towards people of different faiths and just, just, we need to fucking get rid of these fucking Nazis, you know, like just smash fascism, like just fuck this shit. This is not political stuff. This is, this is not political shit. This is human rights shit. This is just the most base requirements. People just want to live. And so go out there, get yourself informed, read up. There's a lot of stuff you can read out there. There's a lot of cool organizations that are doing good work. Uh, donate your time, donate money if you can afford to, um, you know, show up, be involved. Go out there and, and make your own culture as well. You know, anyone can do this stuff. You can, you can be strumming your guitar and next thing you know, you're Dallas Green, you know, you just, just, you know, you, you, you just, you never know what happens, you know, go out there, design a video game, you know, look at Edmund McMillan from last week's episode, you know, go, you know, never know where that goes, you know, just do something, do put yourself out there and, and get involved and it'll make you feel better mentally. Just do something. I'm sorry, I'm getting texted right now. Um, sign your organ donor cards. You never know when you're going to need them. Well, you're not, you're not, you're not going to need them anymore. Sorry. Other people might need them. You never know who's going to need them. That's probably a better way of putting it. Maybe someone in your family needs an organ and you don't need it when you're dead. So, you know, sign that card. 
Ah, that's it. Um, stay safe. I love you. Try meditating. Try try meditating. It, it works for me. So maybe it'll work for you. And uh, I will see you on, on the next episode. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.